All right, everybody, welcome on over to Secure the Bag Podcast. We got a very unique segment here. Uh, somebody that I don't think you guys are too familiar with in terms of his, um, you know, his him as a person, but definitely his brand vintage frames all right now Corey thank you of course man so much for for hopping on here man I appreciate it we literally uh, been trying to make this happen for like about a week or two now but you had complex con right how was that by the way it was incredible yeah yeah it was you know living living the internet in real life yeah being able to uh, connect with our core audience uh, in person is gigantic for us yeah and I guess for them too god I got now vintage frames when did that start exactly so Vintage Frames started, I think, just shy of 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, it was probably my fifth business, and it was the result of deciding that there were certain elements of each of the businesses that I had prior that I found dysfunctional. You know, so, for example, owning a sneaker store and always having your profits tied up in a size that nobody wanted. Um, or the same thing with clothing, when someone wanted a large, you only had a small. So um, the need for a business that had no sizes, mm-hmm. or readily available sizes, I should say, was was kind of the, the goal. That's that interesting. The, yeah, that was the idea of vintage frames. Got it, got it. But my question to you is, were you always into, into frames? Into frames? Yeah, fr- you know, where I'm from, um, frames were always a... Uh, a marker of status. Mm-hmm. So there was a certain community of people that I was privy to, not that I was part of, um, but you know, an older crowd of people like my grandparents' friends that would, mm-hmm. you know, these old guys that would meet at the breakfast place uh-huh. in the morning in their big Cadillacs, velour suits and big glasses and big rings. And, uh-huh. you know, that was, that was the visual model for success. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and as as we would dive into you know personal relationships with each of these guys, there was really a uh, story behind these frames, and it was almost a barrier between them and the rest of the world that allowed them to become this kind of character. Got it. And I always thought that was very interesting about the optical business in general. Got it. So deeper than just the way they looked, more about the story behind each yeah. and how they made someone feel. Got really. it. Yeah. Got it, got it, amazing. Uh, and it's pretty funny that you 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 mentioned you know just kind of growing up and and watching you know people that you know you admire maybe because of the results they have or the materialistic things or maybe the lifestyle just in general. Uh, you know the Twitter days back in the Twitter days, I would say like I mean honestly when I was a sophomore in high school, um, I would I would see you and you know your your good friend or business partner. I mean you can. Uh, clarify if I'm wrong, but uh, you and 40 ounce fan would, mm-hmm. you know, you guys were were the at the forefront of uh, creating this culture of like where it's cool to be, you know, business oriented and um, and how do I put it? I guess, but but still business oriented, but still from your true origins, right? Without going too out of like your, um, you know, your upbringing or the culture that you were brought up in, right? So. Um, I would literally watch you and you know 40 ounce van just create you know turn these ideas into products and you guys would sell out and you know me being a teenager I admire that because I'm like you know especially as you start to get older you see the difference between legal money illegal money right mm-hmm. the type of crowds and uh, you know I 
I'm not gonna lie, I dabbled in both, just like um, the majority of people try to, you know, mm -hmm. just experiment. But ultimately, I was like, you know what, these guys, I mean, they're, they're living the same lifestyle as all these other people in, in the culture that, um, you know, into fashion or all that, but yet they're, have a, a solid business out of it. So why not pursue that? And so I started up a clothing brand, uh, and a lot of people that tune in here know about that because the end result of the clothing brand that I started, now all that was modeling after you guys, and I saw they were already selling out. So I'm like, hey, they're already selling out, right? Like, I'm not reinventing the wheel here. I could just put Boston instead of New York. Mm -hmm. um, but the trouble that I ran into is literally what you just mentioned. It's the idea that creating like a specific design that I liked, most of the time it wouldn't really sell out, right? Or maybe one piece would sell out, the other would break even, and the rest would just stay on the shelf. Mm -hmm. And so when it comes to the e-commerce space, I definitely do agree with you on that. It's like want to figure something out that can fit you know the the average person that's in that market of yours right mm -hmm. um, so how did you go from somebody just admiring you know frames and mm -hmm. interest in the story and just be you know a customer in a sense to mm -hmm. somebody who's like hey I'm just gonna take this and turn it into a, a full blown um, business I think ever since I was a kid my you know, all my friends were playing outside or doing whatever the fuck they were yeah. really doing. Um, my game was business. So, you know, whether it was, a, you know, a trend coming through our elementary school where kids were collecting Beanie Babies, yeah. well, that was cool to collect them, but what were you going to do with these stupid fucking dolls? Yeah. You know, and how were you going to afford to buy them? Mm -hmm. You know, so it was the challenge and the game for me internally was always what's the business you know and you know you get to see the consumer end of it you are a consumer end of it and that's great but there's only one guy that's satisfying that demand and that's really the dude that's the coolest guy not the guy that has all the bean babies yeah you know what I mean it's Absolutely. the guy it's the guy that has none of them yeah. because he sold out yeah right <clears throat> and that was that kind of stood true throughout my whole life so generally I was always in a collectible industry um, I had to be because my interests were were in things that were generally collectible <clears throat> like comics and baseball cards and magic cards at one point and shit like that and I couldn't afford them yeah so if I wanted them I had to figure out a way to get them yeah so what was the way to satisfy the needs of the market and to be able to satisfy my own needs that was kind of how, how this whole business thing came. So the business thing was really a, a plug and play, mm -hmm. you know, and um, like a means to get what you wanted in a sense when you were younger or. Yeah, it, it, I mean, when I was younger and, you know, up until definitely current ages. Um, yeah. But the the idea and the notion was um, that business was business should have always been the interest in the game and the rest of the shit, the products were plug and play. So once you had your formula, yeah. that was the way to go, you know, and, and, and making it a little bit more advanced throughout the years, doing things I didn't like yeah. were more detrimental to my living than not having money. Oh, that's you really know? good. That's super powerful. Doing things that you don't like, yeah. that, that gets you the things that you do like, right? Yeah. So, I, you know, and, and I and I would rather be the happiest guy than the richest guy. Yeah. Because generally the richest guys aren't the happiest guys. and you know, sometimes vice versa, but there had to be a happy medium between between the two of them. Um, the cool thing about glasses in general was 
there was no one who was um, making a historical lineage for the fashion aspects. So you could always pinpoint the medical um, progressions, but you could never find any lineage on the fashion. So I had taken my fashion degree in fashion history and wow. merged it to... You went to school for... I went to school for fashion. I went to school for fashion marketing. Um, I had a school that I was in at the time where my uh, company that I made during school was so far surpassed the curriculum that I was being interviewed all the time and um, <laughs> when they would ask me about school I would have rather negative things to say so the school kicked me out with my well they didn't actually kick me out they had politely asked me to leave yeah with my dis with my diploma and uh, had to sign a, a non-disclosure that I for seven years after I couldn't speak about the school in any media or to anybody Wow yeah so I was like cool and then another school took interest and um, the discussions were marketing can't be taught you either get it or you don't yeah um, do you think that's true yeah I, I, you think that's I, true? I know it's true yeah. I, you know I think that people who are schooled in marketing um, can be part of an part of an equation mm -hmm. but they cannot be the full equation and I, and it takes certain people who get it and who have the um, confidence to look outside the box to, to execute. It. But the one thing in fashion that is actually um, hard facts is history. Yeah. You can't rewrite history, um, obviously. Absolutely. You can flow with it, you can learn from it, you can regurgitate it, but and that's it repeats itself too. Yeah, and that's, yeah. that's definitely concrete, you know. Yeah. So there was no historical lineage to glasses. And um, a big thing about business, whether it's on the internet or anywhere else, is when you have a product-based business, you want to figure out what your exit point is. Yeah. So what is, you know, God forbid, you have a hundred grand worth of product at the end, and you can't clear the product. What's yeah. the What's the exit? You know, and because if not, your product, your profits all in whatever your yeah. commodity yeah. is. So, another interest in this as a commodity is is eyewear as medical. Mm -hmm. So there's always a need for it. Wow. So whether it's not fashion. Um, it could be medical, and there's yeah. always ways to liquidate commodity away from a fashion Absolutely. perspective. Yeah. So that was like a big thing with with eyewear. Got it. So yeah. you're you're kind of. It sounds like you were in this situation where, uh, which I would love for for the audience that's tuning in, especially since, like I said, the majority of them are you know millennials and mm -hmm. younger entrepreneurs. Um, would you agree that it's totally fine when you're starting off to just totally just experiment right I mean it sounded like the first you know half of this whole game that you've been playing that you've been on this thing called earth you were just really experimenting kind of being aware of mm -hmm. you know your surroundings and what you can make happen from what you are already in right yeah. and yeah. I mean experience is is a hundred percent of the game mm -hmm. right uh, edu education is is the platform of confidence but other than that without the experience you know, education only stands true mm -hmm. in certain industries. Is that is that why you were saying like uh, you know, when you were interviewed, where you were getting interviewed um, when you were in college or right when when that yeah. business took off there, yeah. and you were saying that college really wasn't. It was because you kind of realized that hey, this is where I'm actually learning what I'm doing, not when I'm sitting in a classroom. Well, I so. I would backstep and say that I do believe that college is incredibly important. Okay, got it. 
in fashion mm -hmm. unless you're trying to learn a, f a specific discipline mm -hmm. like designing and you want to do CADs or pattern making or something that's actually educational based yeah. that someone can teach you everything else in fashion is whether you whether you're that person or not god and in fashion marketing even more yeah um so I, so my my problem was with the school not with school in general got it you know okay. because the, the school like my friends were banging the teachers and <laughs> to me that was insane yeah. you know like coming from a high school to yeah. a college where you know Anything goes. Like, yeah, I mean, beyond anything goes. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, like yeah. we're in class, we're in class. You know, watching this girl's lesson, and he's putting like archaic, first laptop versions of iMovies <laughs> of of you know her asshole spread. Like, like, how can you, how can you like really take her seriously? And, yeah. And this school was compiled of a bunch of um, professionals where the profession had surpassed them in the industry so oh. they were failed professionals and definitely had a certain amount of things to tell us about it yeah. but they were not at the forefront of it you know in the fashion yeah. industry um, unfortunately in Montreal where I'm from the model was kind of like they who can't teach they who can't teach and, um, and there's nothing wrong with that and I get yeah. the idea of you know having a job and that but at an industry that's changing and as technology comes into play yeah. and where you really have to you know be with the wave, mm -hmm. you know, or creating it, yeah. not watching it crash and then going, okay, fuck, how do I get into I that school? I missed on that one too, yeah. It, it, the whole, that whole particular school became archaic. Um, and I take on students from there now as internships and yeah. one of them um, just walked in the room and um, her education isn't what got her the job. Um, her will to adapt and to learn got it. is what got her the job got it, and got I you know I think that if you, if you would ask her not a single thing she learned in in that program that she went through the whole program yeah. is she able to apply to her current life whether it's with my company or or anyone else's yeah so so when you noticed that did you kind of uh, take it, the matter into your own hands and say hey well these people right here that are trying to teach me what I want to learn are clearly outdated like you said so did you start looking beyond and find somebody maybe like a mentor or somebody that you looked up to and kind of you know read after or maybe you had been your whole life um, that's a good question what did I do? My, so the way that this fashion school worked is after your third year you had a final project where you had to create a fictional entity and you had to present this entity in front of these current pillars in the fashion industry and they would judge you on what they thought kind of like wow. dragon's den yeah except i made an entity year one and it was in stores and it was making money so i couldn't compete because it worked <laughs> you know Wait, so what, what what company was this if you want me asking um, it was my first brand was called urban freakout and it was this brand that was a platform at the time for artists uh -huh. so it was giving a platform for graffiti artists to interpret my ideology and my name and the name was um, was UF and it was with a backwards F and the whole idea of it was that the brand became very popular over these trucker hats that we did before Von Dutch and everything came mm -hmm. and either you bought the designs that these artists did which had a lot of um, visual depth to them and mm -hmm. was really supporting this type of a community or you bought the logo which was our urban freak out which was meant to be a bad name 
and it was a U with a backwards F. So when you would look in the mirror, the hat would then say F U. Wow. So you were like, so, so it was cool. like, okay, you know, like you're a bit of a, a jerk off. You bought the fuck you hat because you you don't understand the company and you don't understand that there's a supportive platform that we're trying to give back to artists. You wow. Know, the first guy who made our uh, logo um, is actually rather humble and relevant currently. Um, he owned a brand at the time called Evidence, and then he, um, many years later, transitioned into a guy named Jound, and he um, has the Jound brand, and he's um, heavily involved in the in the uh, you know, Kanye West creative team, and he made Bintrill, and God. you know he's in oh, that Bintrill whole, was huge yeah he's in that whole community yeah. of people. So there was um, there was a bunch of people that were involved like that, and you know we all went separate ways, and yeah, that, that was kind of the idea, but the school wouldn't let me compete because yeah. it wasn't fair, yeah. right? I could show up with my current, you know, stock lists with a catalog, with the celebrity, you know, pictures and, and just throw the thing at them and be yeah. like, okay, cool, well, you know, I got to go for dinner. Just <laughs> tell me when to come and get the award, <laughs> you know. Um, so that that was that was kind of like the, the schooling portion of it. Got it. Um, and there was also no technological advances in the school at the time using internet, so like iMovie for presentations, when you would bring in an iMovie and do like... They roll in the TV in the car? I mean, well, I had my own setup, but they <laughs> it, they just weren't getting it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Perfect, man, perfect. So that's, I think there's, uh, you know, definitely people are tuning in. By the way, listening on any podcast platform, whether it be iTunes or whatever it is, make sure you guys subscribe, make sure you guys leave a uh, five-star review, your biggest takeaway as well, of course. Uh, and also be sure to give Corey, Mr. Uh, Vintage Frames. I don't know exactly which you prefer to go by, Corey or... I go by it all, bro. We go by it all, all right. So give him all. a follow at Vintage uh, Frames. Is that, that's your personal one, yeah. right? Perfect. Kind of acts as the company one as well, but yeah, it's apparently one and the same. <laughs> exactly, that's, and that's very, very interesting within itself because that's not a mistake, right? You didn't do that by, you know, um, just for, for, for whatever reason. I'm sure you had a plan uh, behind that. And, and that's something that I wanna touch on is is obviously branding. That's something that, mm -hmm. you know, just from these couple of stories and projects you've been, you know, you worked on throughout your life, like all have been brands. Mm -hmm. um, and really like creating a brand is definitely not the easiest thing, right? It's not like something that you, you know, anybody can do, it's, it's a formula. Would you agree that it's a formula and less of a guessing work? Uh, I think it I think it depends how honest you want to be with yourself you know what you're trying to do mm -hmm. um, it's not really a formula if you are the lifestyle gotcha. personally gotcha um, if you're creating it for someone else yeah. so you know which we do as well um, yes it's a little bit more of a formula um, in the vintage frames brand um, it was more of a guideline yeah. you know um to show failures and success, successes to the uh, community of people that support you with equal importance. So be equally as proud that you failed um, and e equally as proud that you succeeded. And if you were able to show a pure, for us, if you were able to show a pure form of what the real life was behind the frames, you you could never really be called on any faults because you were already showing people your faults. Yeah. And and. The you know the brand name was the became the aggression behind 
the frame. Yeah, exactly. And Very vintage style type of... Yeah, and is that a formula? Not really, because every day is a different day. There's a different adversity. There's a yeah. different success. There's different ups. There's different downs. Um, so, uh, you know, for us, the formula is kind of honesty and, like, let it, let it go how it goes. Like, yeah. people... We really believe that people either really like us or really hate us. Mm -hmm. You know, and the people that are kind of middle ground... We don't really want them in general because yeah. they're they're unsure with their own life. Yeah, you know. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a very good point. I think when it comes to I think that's something, and I'm 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 the least political person right. you'll ever meet in your life. But Donald Trump, he's he's somebody who does that really well. He separates the crowd into two: people that love him and the people that hate him because he understands that hey, I can't get everybody to love me anyway, so right. I'm not even gonna play that game. And when it comes to uh, building a brand or just you know, launching a company, you gotta be very picky with with who you want. You have to be able to accept the fact that hey, I can't please everybody. I can't sell. I can't possibly make a pair of glasses that everybody and their mom is gonna love. You kind of chose your audience, and you know, you went head first. And I feel like honestly, I mean, I don't really see much competition in terms of like the price point that you went after and the style and. Right, so and we, I mean, we have very different price points. Yeah. So for if you're talking about the ninety nine dollar, yeah, exactly. That's that's the. So the ninety nine dollar one was large companies looking at us, going, you know, we're interested in buying you. You mm -hmm. do no advertising. Yeah. You have a very high price point. You have no line for marketing mm -hmm. in your P and L. Um, we don't understand how that's scalable, and so. For us, instead of um, having a brand that was not inclusive of everyone, I don't really believe that brands should segment people. Um, I think that it should bring people together. Yes, different brands are for different people. Yeah. But as a brand, as Vintage Frames started as purveyors, so we're purveyors of original designer vintage goods. So nothing was actually our brand. Got it. It was all, you know, vintage Dior and vintage Cartier and, yeah. you know, whatever vintage brands you would bring into the mix. But yeah. the idea of the VF was, let's produce glasses at a higher quality than everyone, with a smaller margin of it, smaller margin than anyone, yeah. and not make any money on it. Let's just break even on it, but let's replace that as the line for marketing in the PNL. Wow. So let's instead of telling people what we are and and you know what we can do and you know kind of tooting our own horn let's make products that have no margin that are accessible for everyone and let's let everyone be a part of the brand and advertise it for us wow you know so and that was the that was kind of the reverse scenario of the vintage frames brand because you know at one point everyone thought just because we did you know fifty thousand dollar glasses and hundred thousand yeah. dollar glasses and stuff like that that it was that it was not inclusive and that that was you know that was the problem it, it's funny because when i was in in high school uh i remember you guys would like flex these these frames and i would look them up and i'll feel like dude what 15 g's like 10 g i'm like i can't afford this right. so what i would do is i would go on ebay yeah. and look for something that was like my price point would right. still kind of fit that style right. you know and so it's interesting too how you know you just said like you got these companies what they were probably thinking and trying to advise you on is, hey, go slap a billboard, you know, down the street, go print out some flyers or something oh, like sure. that. But what you did is you said, hey, 
I'm just gonna make my front end, you know, I'm gonna break even on my front end through actual products and acquire real customers that do business with us mm -hmm. to hopefully not only create like, you know, uh, recurring customers, but also have them just be this, because when you, everybody has the cutest baby in the world, right? Like this guy, Dan Fleischman, uh, the youngest person to take a company public uh, when he was like 23. And I would love to introduce him. I think you guys would be make cool. a, a great connection. But you know, he says everybody has the cutest baby in the world, right? Like every single entrepreneur has the best product in, in their own opinion. But what you essentially were able to do with that play right there is have this whole audience here that you you catered to and took into consideration and made them part of uh, you know your family and your brand to just say hey. They have the cutest baby in the world, right? They got the best glasses in the world. They're super cool, you know. They got X, Y, Z, and so that word of mouth advertising is is definitely where I think you know you. Not I think I know for a fact that's where you grew the brand to be as solid as it is. Without and and before we hit this uh, record button, we were talking about Facebook pixels, and I asked you, I'm like, what kind of you know marketing you were doing? You were like, honestly. We don't do any of that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Nothing. Yeah. We don't. We don't even. Um, I mean, I, I can't say that we won't do it one day. You yeah. know, we have a we have a had a really aggressive build on this new website platform that we're very very proud of. That was, yeah. you know, financially was to me something that was insane to put towards um, the web. But yeah. you know, my cousin being uh, the COO of Shopify. Um, He's a CLO. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, Harley. Um, tells me how cheap I am. You know, <laughs> it's not <laughs> really, you know, you could go bigger, but I'm very, very satisfied with it, and we might one day. But the reality is, we have a very different way of doing it. You know, yeah. and it's we have a very different way of doing it. We have a company that um, is very disruptive to the optical industry um, because we're honest about it. We're yeah. honest about the ins and the outs. We're not trying to hide to people. You know what? If if we make something that's the best quality, it's the best quality. Yeah. If we make something that the, that's the worst quality, well, it's the worst quality. Yeah. You know, and sometimes there's reasons for that too. Mm -hmm. um, like that one right there, for example, right? The ninety-nine dollar price point. So the ninety-nine dollar price point. Um, basically, what we did is we took over old machines, like from companies like Cartier and Hilton and stuff like that. And these old machines that we produce it with, we're using kind of an archaic production ideology got it. Um, but we're producing better quality glasses than Cartier wow. not, not if you get into their buffalo horns and stuff like that but you know you take a Cartier glass an aviator like ours has spring hinges theirs doesn't which is kind of an archaic ideology that would be one theirs would be a 14 karat plating ours are 24 and they're dipped and it's a different type of process yeah um, our lenses are far better than anybody's. I mean, um, that's that's personally what catches my eye yeah, all the time. Yeah, there's no question about yeah. it. And it's because we use a very different technique to it. But the difference between me and Cartier is that I don't have to pay anyone every, any royalty, any yeah. royalty fees. I don't have to outsource production. I don't have to pay all these different things that the end consumer is just paying for, really. Yeah. So I'd rather make $5 on a $100 frame which to a lot of people seems like it's a waste of time, but then compare, I mean, compare my advertising line yeah. to Cartier's. Obviously Cartier's been, is quite a bigger brand than I, yeah. I am. Um, 
but if you if you would scale it down and compare our numbers and our compare our sizes of the current format, you'd see that we're really far advanced. Gotcha. Um, and that's what we're kind of building and doing and and fucking around with, you know. Incredible. How, how big is the uh, the Vintage Frames team? Like, how many employees do you have? Uh, I think we're 11. 11? Yeah, we're 11. We uh, we have no walls in our office. No what? No walls? No walls. I, mean, no wall. I, I work from a tree house, but I... Yeah. Um, I'd love to see that one. It's a tree house? Yeah, it's a tree house. <laughs> it's a tree house with a ramp to get up to it. Um, and we have a very different concept. And... Um, you know, we work through things together, so we have no, we have a no pass the buck policy. Yeah. You know, we, our positions are... No, no pass... Pass the buck. So it's like, if let's say we get a, ra a, ru a rush of packages and you're doing the accounting, well, you're stopping doing the accounting and you're packing boxes because that's what we have to do. So That's the not, money making, the customer. Yeah, yeah, so we're, exactly, and you know... For instance, when we do Black Friday and we have this massive surge of, you know, of purchases and carried into Cyber Monday with 24 drops in 24 hours, yeah, it's thousands of packages, and that I'm I'm even in there packaging it. So yeah. we're all pretty hands-on, mm -hmm. um, and we grow the and we grow the company um, slowly internally than other companies. God. And you know we like to try to empower within and, and stuff like that. Only when we've really, uh, when we really, really, really feel that we have not been able to pull a new resource from within, that's yeah. when we'll start to expand the team. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we really believe in empowering the individuals that are within the company, whether they started as shipping or cutting lenses or whatever. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Now before you you built a team, right? Mm -hmm. You're obviously at one point a one-man team, right? Like a one-man gang. Just you mm -hmm. know, you're doing the accounting, you're doing the mm -hmm. the advertising, you're doing the reaching out to influencers, whatever it is. Uh, so, what was it like at that point in time? Because that that is really, I think, uh, what a lot of people that that I personally want to kind of uh, expose, right? Because every single great entrepreneur and where they're at now, at one point they were that lonely kid right where nobody really believed in their ideas or their visions and they're just kind of in their room with them and their and and their thoughts and again and their ideas so but but how are you able to you know kind of stop thinking and stop you know kind of uh uh doubting yourself and really just became you know a boss like somebody who puts things on the line who risks um you know money that might or might not even have and all for the sake of you know, making a bet, taking a risk on, on you know, yourself or themselves? Um, you know, for me personally, it's that, you know, I believe that even failure is a success. Mm -hmm. And that's just what I'm comfortable with internally. You know, and, and a lot of the struggles of the entrepreneur is what they think of themselves. Yeah. You know, and I don't think I'm any better or any worse than anyone else. Yeah. You know, um, that that was kind of what drove it you know I never gave a shit what anyone else said yeah you know because my happiness was always the value was yeah. it was that something that was present like in your <clears throat> in your family like kind of everybody had this like expressive attitude like was it an environment no, that you grew up in no. that allowed you to be kind of no. carefree and not really you know the influence were were 
you know, um, a big influence was going with my grandfather to this deli every morning because at the time they told me I was an early riser. Maybe I just had incredible anxiety and that's why I was, <laughs> that's why I was always up. Um, but I would go to this deli and I would go there from, you know, from, I guess, being born and up until maybe 14, 15. And the same guys, the conversations went from, you know, there was a, there was a major uh, roller coaster in uh, the clothing business at the time. So yeah. all these these garmentos, as they would call themselves, which were um, which had made money um, quickly and in an industry that was new and growing, and were all at the top of their game. And you know you would hope that they stashed money, but as you saw, mm -hmm. and as the ages went through, and as tech technology came into play, and just just many different factors, recessions and shit like that, um, there was a decline with them, right? And the decline with them was in their happiness, mm. in the way that they comported themselves, in the way that they took care of themselves, and in merchandise that they had, right? And so an interesting thing was, well, you have all these guys who have, no, who have all this merchandise yeah. that they don't know what to do with. Maybe I can do something with it. You know? So that, that, was, that, was, that was one ideology that was on one side and, and then um, my mother um, had a very self-made driven attitude um, she had to you know she had a couple of jobs to support what I was doing um, and she was there was no set times of the day which was an interesting thing and um, my dad was very accepting of anything that I would do that's and, yeah he wasn't you know so he used to tell me the same thing that I tell my son, which is, doesn't matter what you're going to do in life, but even if you're the guy that's scrubbing the to toilets at McDonald's, make sure it's what makes you happy and make sure that you're the best at scrubbing those toilets. Doesn't matter what the fuck you want to do. Yeah. You know, so it was kind of those three things that were embedded into me, you know, yeah. like almost a schizophrenic type of way, yeah. because they're three very different, you know, ideologies, um, and the one common denominator was the happiness factor. Because if you're not happy doing what you're doing, you're never gonna do it well. Yeah. You're never gonna be satisfied. And you're just wasting your time. Yeah. You know. So if you could find happiness in the struggle and happiness in the failures and in the adversity, um, versus being scared to go head on mm -hmm. with adversity, I think that that's um, was the most important thing in all of this. Incredible, man! Incredible. I would, I would totally agree in in terms of, uh, you know, your parents. And I don't want to hold you up for too long here, so we'll, we'll definitely wrap it, it up. But um, if you're here, you're here because we want you. Here, <laughs> beautiful. Not because you're holding a gun to our head. Beautiful. Um, so really, I mean, when it comes to like parents and stuff, I mean, a lot of I get tons of direct messages from you know just kids my age and you know maybe a little bit older, younger, just mm -hmm. talking about how. Uh, you know the fact that they can or cannot make moves all you know has something to do with their parents their that environment that they grew up in and so that's just an excuse you, that, I, I would say I would say it's both an excuse but it definitely no. has some subconscious to it like the fact that your father was was supportive of you what if you grew up in an environment where your father was like you're an idiot you're never gonna be anything and and he's the person that you know is obviously your superhero right no you think you would still would have came out strong on the on the other end yeah no I, I because if I wasn't as strong of a person mm -hmm. telling me that whatever it was that I wanted to do would be okay with him mm -hmm. there's a lack of guidance there 
-hmm. So that was a 50-50 chance. Yeah. It might have been better for me to be told, no, you can't do this. And to no, go against you know, it. Yeah, so, Got it. so no, I don't believe that that was, you know, I, that was a chance that he took yeah. in trying to figure out what my personality is. Um, so no, I don't think the parents pay any play in, into it, really. I think that people who use their parents as an excuse for either their success or their failure yeah. failed. You know, they should look at themselves as a failure because I don't believe that anybody has any real um, power over what you do as a person. Got it. You know? So it starts for for you because every single time you know we we record one of these podcasts, I like yeah. to kind of throw that in there to see. It's all different. You know, at the end of the day, it's all different opinions, different takes on sure. it. So by the sound of it, sounds like for you, it starts and ends all with you, right? Like it, there's. You are, you're fully responsible for where you're at or where you are not at at this point in time. Um, am I, yes, well, I have a team. Yeah. Am I, am I fully responsible for the, for the things and the line items that I needed to contribute to that team? Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, is the team where they're at because of me? Yes. Yeah. Um, but I'm not, you know, I'm not a one-man show. Yeah. Um, I do a lot more than most other, you know, CEOs do. Um, I'm a lot more hands-on. But some people look at that as as um, the wrong way to do things. Also, yeah. you know, so everyone has different skills, and everything's everybody has different things that they're comfortable doing. You know, a lot of people build businesses to support their lifestyle, and then people build businesses that are businesses that will live on without them, and that can be sold and stuff like that. Yeah. Say that one more time. You said some people build a business, business to support their lifestyle. Their lifestyle. Yeah. Like as in good habits or bad habits, right? No, I just in, you know, so I have some friends that have businesses that are very successful. Mm -hmm. um, it would be very hard to remove them from the business. Yeah. And they, the, their success is based on a marker of what will it cost them to live. And what will it cost them to cover their nut? Gotcha. And okay, there's gotcha. nothing wrong with that. That's gotcha. that's great. That's just mm -hmm. one thing. Then there's people who build businesses who have, who want to build a business that can be sold. That's its own entity on its own. Yeah. That can you know outlive them and, mm -hmm. and shit like that. Two different. No right or wrong. Just two different um, comfort zones. Really. Yeah. yeah. You know, and end, and end results. Yeah. You know, I'm trying to build a business that will outlive me. Yeah. You know still ironically while having my face on it <laughs> yes yeah, so that, that's that's a really really good uh that's really interesting i'm glad that you brought that up because i was talking to uh to jimmy the the shooter behind the camera and the podcast i was telling him, i was like because i was reading this book it's called uh built to sell i forget the exact name of the uh the author I can send it over but it's talking about different variables that if you have in your business that can help you sell it quicker right so if you have you know, people on a recurring monthly membership, like let's say AT&T or T-Mobile, it's pretty easy to approach, you know, invest and be like, hey, look, we got a thousand or a million people paying us $50, $70 a month, right? So at least more attractive. Uh, and one of those things is whether you have your face attached to it or not, right? Although it's kind of like a cartoon drawing of you, it looks like a Medusa head, I, we can throw it up uh, probably on the logo or the picture of the uh, podcast, the thumbnail of the podcast, but, um, you know, having your name or your face attached to it, does that worry you at all? Has that been brought up in, in conversation? Because it sounds like you are trying to get these pieces online to be able to sell it. Um, 
it's an it's an <laughs> it's an interesting conversation because there's many things with it that are very good. And yeah. There's many things that aren't. Yeah. Um, thankfully, it's a sellable logo. Yeah. Right. Um, but I'm so heavily attached to the company in every <laughs> aspect. Um, you know, I do all the designs, I, all the purveying. Yeah. Um, They're gonna have to buy you with it. It sounds like. Yeah, or or at le- at least buy my interest to put in the time and effort to train someone. Yeah. To see the same way that I do, mm-hmm. which you know is in many colors and and yeah. and sometimes in black and white. Um, I'm I'm not sure. I'm not really sure what the answer is. To be gotcha. honest, that's that's kind of rolling with the punches. Yeah. Know? Would you be fine with either or? Like, if it came time to it, and they were like, you know. Uh, I guess that's a bad question to ask, but like, if you could or couldn't have sold it or sell yeah. it in the near future, would you be fine? Like, would I be either or? If my face wasn't there. Um, not not <laughs> if your face wasn't there, but like, if let's just say for whatever reason, um, actually, we shouldn't even get into that. I mean, Movado sold, you know, their their watches or their watch brand for. Oh uh, no, movement movement sold to Movado for was it like a billion plus, a couple billion dollars. Mm-hmm. And they literally started like drop shipping these watches mm-hmm. uh, from like China and just put their name, you know, put. But not their face. But not their face. Yeah, yeah, that's the <laughs> thing. Their, <laughs> that's what I'm face. trying to figure out here. Is like, does <coughs> that is is that does that worry you or is no. that totally fine? With so you? we actually have three logos. That's Got one, it. That's one of the logos, but that logo is more the stamp of approval. Okay. Um, less the branded logo. Yeah. Um, but I. You know, it's it's a it's a curious conversation between different major optical players on, you know, if we're interested in buying it, how long do we have to keep him around? Yeah. To do that, and um, so we have many different divisions of the company which are able to be kind of split up if we needed to sell it or if we wanted to sell it, and we needed to con- kind of, I guess, kind of conform to the buyer. Yeah. Um, but you know, definitely, definitely a lot of pros and cons for having my face on yeah. one of the logos. I think it's comedy. You know, I just built this house where I put that logo <laughs> like in mosaic tile <laughs> in the powder room because I thought it would be funny that you know maybe some of my friends would you know come see this. Well, well they would. They definitely all see it. And I'm watching you while you piss. Um, but I, I just thought it was like a funny thing to do. It's for me. It's more the it's more the comedy. You know, my dad used to make fun of me when when I would wear someone else's name or brand name on, you know, my shirt because he uh, was never really big into that. Mm-hmm. He goes, "Well, why the fuck are you advertising for someone else?" And you know, there was a certain validity to that. Yeah, I was gonna uh, say that that definitely speaks volume. It's like, why not just rep your own stuff? I yeah, mean, yeah. I mean, or like you know, when I was young, well, your name's not Hellfigure. You know, or your name's not, you know, I guess, Polo, but Polo I didn't really wear, so I, I can't honestly say that, but let's say Hilfiger I was pretty big yeah. into. Um, so it's kind of like that, that like, evolved, funny ideology, you know? Gone. So you, you put your character into it, you, you put your personality into your brand as well. Yeah, I don't think there's a way of keeping my personality out of anything that I do. Yeah. You know, I'm, a, I'm very eccentric, um, but I'm honestly eccentric. I'm not eccentric for the fact about, you know, or yeah. for, for just for being eccentric. I happen to be that kind of a weird dude. Yeah. You know, I've just been able to add my uh, wit into it and education and uh, intelligence to turn it into something that makes me happy that I like doing every day and that 
can provide for my family. That's beautiful. Um, yeah, and, and you know, vintage frames is a result of taking the things that I hate in life and making sure that they're not included. And, <laughs> you know, and doing things that I've fought against for years. You know, I grew up in a community, I grew up with two very different sets of friends. Either they were very rich or they were very poor. Yeah. Um, and very poor sometimes being so poor that they couldn't afford a pen and a paper to write poor. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of my wealthy friends were going to inherit businesses, and I only know one of them who inherited a business who's who's actually successful with it. The rest of them were lazy or entitled or yeah, you know. And and I, I'm not saying that behind their back. I'll look at them all at dinner and tell them to their face. Yeah. Also, so to me that was like, un- you know, unacceptable in life. So when we took that and we married it with the fact that my other friends who were very poor were working together to get to do better to get better yeah to make something to be you know to have something where they could look at someone in the eyes and say I'm so-and-so this is what I do and nice to meet you and um, that's kind of how we brought up vintage frames you know that is that is incredible I think anybody that's that's uh you know listening right now they're really gonna be able to accept the fact especially as they hear it more after every single or in every single segment with whoever we're interviewing hearing the fact that hey I came from nothing and well, I, I didn't come from nothing but I didn't come from anything that gotcha. was okay. that was um, not without struggle you okay. know so we definitely would never have to worry about food on the table or yeah. anything like that but the things that I wanted to do extracurricular activities um, you know having toys you yeah. know, whether they're children's toys or now bigger toys that I yeah. play with or anything that was on the luxury or stuff that was other than necessity that's where I came from so like I definitely don't want to paint the picture that you know gotcha, I gotcha. A, oh, I'm happy in a clarify. cardboard box somewhere because gotcha. I was not gotcha, you know, gotcha. but no one in my family owned property you know everyone rented so yeah. when I bought my first place and you know now I have a, a rather diverse and healthy real estate portfolio yeah um that was like I was in tears. That was the biggest fucking thing, yeah. you know, on the planet for me. Um, so you pretty much just realized at a young age that hey, look, like we're good. We got we got money coming in. We're not really like stressed out over it. But if I want to get the things that I want without having to rely on my parents or whatever it is, I gotta get to yeah, work. Yeah, I got I gotta figure it out. And like the way Canada works is everything that you do up until eighteen gets erased. Gets so away. other than killing someone. You could get caught selling drugs. You could yeah. do prostitution if that's what you're into. Yeah. Um, you could do whatever the fuck you want to do that might be considered shady in any culture. Mm-hmm. And at 18, it's like whew, new guy. Yeah. So let's fuck. So you know my my, my, <laughs> he took my that into consideration. Was like, was like, look, if we're gonna fuck up, let's fuck up now. Let's figure it out and let's do it before we're 18. Yeah. You know, and then let's go from there. You know and. and you know, make, make make it happen um, so that with the need to have some type of a stability um, and then the fact that I have two children that mm-hmm. I that I'm not quite sure are as um, strong as I might have been gotcha um, and I don't want to put them in the position where they have to struggle but yeah. I also don't want to put them in the position where they don't have to struggle gotcha. and so I tell my son every day when I'm fucking around with him um, that 
you know, he's like, well, Dad, you are, you're rich. And I said, well, A, I'm not rich. And I have money. And you, don't. you have nothing. <laughs> you have, yeah. fuck all. What you, whatever you got in your pockets. is mine. <laughs> well, no, whatever you in your pockets is yours. But whatever's in my pocket's mine. Yeah. You know, and, um, and I also tell him every day that he will never inherit vintage frames. It's not even an option for him. Not interested in any way, shape, or form. If you prove yourself and you want to use vintage frames to create a subdivision or a platform, mm -hmm. great. If not, sell it. Yeah. You know, you ha never have this yeah. to fall back on. And, it, and there's multiple scenarios or cases where you got like Bill Gates, you got Warren Buffett, who make that very public, like they're not getting a dollar. Right. And people look at them as if they're crazy, but they understand like, hey, the reason why I am where I'm at today is because I was at a certain point where I couldn't um you know where i had to make it work and so where i didn't have all the abundance in terms of you know food or all the things that i want so he had to get to work warren buffett had to get to work bill gates did as well so therefore your son and you know me and jimmy got to get to work uh just like you have been for yeah. you know the past uh however many years you've been in the game so um honestly i mean we covered everything from uh really you know the company that the brand that you're taking up I would say is it a hundred percent of your focus are you also work on some extracurricular brands or is this like your one thing right no, now I, 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 um, I consult for a lot of brands um, I work very closely with um, I think well, I think one of the most premium alcohol brands in the world Remy Martin um, I work with a brand called Lugs and uh, British Knights and many other brands I have a barbershop I have real estate companies and, mm -hmm. and other things and um, Vintage Frames is my main company, yeah. but it also is the catalyst for the other companies. So for me, I'd rather take out as much money from Vintage Frames as I can to purchase a real estate portfolio. Yeah. That becomes, you know, tangible assets that have real growth and that aren't, yeah. you know, as liquid as, you know, having a, a pocket full of money. Yeah. You know. Um, so like one is a cash flow. Yeah. Other ones are just investing. Yeah, investments and stuff like that. And, you know, we... Just everything we do is kind of backwards. Yeah. I only invest in one neighborhood. In the neighborhood, I own a lot of the businesses, and I can control the property. <laughs> is he trying to monopolize it? I mean, that's it. You know. Monopoly. I feel like w w that 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 whole neighborhood is gonna have one marble type of uh, soon. soon <laughs> like marble stone with his logo on it. Yeah. That'll be legendary. At least a parade day. Hey, Julia. <laughs> Honestly, I mean, I feel like we've covered, you know, more than enough. Uh, the people that are tuning in, they definitely learned the uh, power of, you know, appreciating your background, the, the fact that you can make something out of where you came from. And it doesn't really have to be. I think what's so beautiful about Vintage Frames and, and you is that it's not like you and then your business, right? Which is what the majority of situations that most people set up for themselves is like. Kind of like for me, I'm so happy I can kind of be myself, dress however I want, and interview the people that I want to talk to and want to learn from, and not have to really be anybody that I'm not, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? So uh, I really do understand that. And I've seen scenarios where, and I've been in scenarios where it's like me, my business, and it's like two different worlds, and it just does not mix well, it's not organic. Um, so therefore, you know, that's definitely one takeaway that I want everybody to get away from it as well. And the idea is totally cool, you know, to experiment, to, um, you know, to fail forward, to be able to get to the point where, you know, you find your winner. Mm -hmm. uh, would you agree, just to kind of wrap it up, that all the failures in your life, like before you got that one major winner, 
that big bag mm -hmm. like it made it all worth it um yeah i don't think i would be where I, I don't think i would be where i am without the failures but i'm also driven by failure yeah. i'm not scared you know, of yeah it. i'm not scared of it at all still, you know I, I fail and roll yeah and some people don't so you know, I, I don't think that it's fair to tell everyone that, you know, fail and that's the way because mm -hmm. just because I'm able to get up. A lot yeah. of people aren't able to get up. Yeah. You know, and I don't want to put them in the position where someone listens to this and goes, well, fuck it. I'm going to go out and fail and they fail and they're like, their whole life is fucked yeah. up because they're just not the, not the guy or the girl that's going to get back up and be like, okay, cool. What's next? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I mean, so. I had an ex... Uh, she was trying to do like a little bit of similar e-commerce space and it's like as soon as things don't go wrong she gets super anxious like starts bugging out you know and it's like hey you might be better off being a partner or you know working for an e-commerce company because clearly you know within entrepreneurship there's those ups and downs right and it's like those ups and downs after you've been in it for s such a long time i still get a little bit anxiety obviously like from those ups and downs where it's like you know one month you do x amount next month it's like why do we, you know, why doesn't it just keep going up and up like a linear, mm -hmm. you know, line? Uh, but I feel like after a certain point, all those ups and downs kind of become, you know, from a distance, like a straight up, you know, curve, kind of mm -hmm. like Warren Buffett's. I mean, his is like, it's like super small and then it's just like 10 X's mm -hmm. over like a span of like two, three, four years. Mm -hmm. um, so Corey, man, thank you so much thank you, man. for for it. for being on here. Anytime, um, man. Good luck with it. Always a pleasure. Yeah, thank you so yeah. much, man. Hopefully, we can catch you. Whatever. When after you sell this? How about that? When after I sell? After you sell the company? vintage frames. Yeah. Oh, so you're not here to buy. Well, that. How, how much? Yeah, how much? What <laughs> hold would on, be, hold on. What would be a dollar you amount? You told me that you were here to buy the fucking company. I am, Jimmy. <laughs> get the check, bro. Where's the check? We man? don't take checks. Dude, we're, how, we're, what, we're would be the, what would be the dollar sign you'll put on it? If somebody walked in right now with blank checks that put your number on it, anything fair? I don't have a number. You don't have a number? No. Everybody got like, a number, man. I like to leave it to people's <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, you got a number in your head right now. Depen <laughs> depends if they like Ninja Turtles or G.I. Joe. <laughs> there you go. There you go. We'll never know. All right. Thank you guys so much for hopping on. Make sure you leave a uh, thumbs up depending on why you're watching this or listening to this. Uh, listening to actually we couldn't get the chance to there's tons of boxes in here i mean having like a convention out here in vegas right i, I think there's it, always conventions there's vegas, always convention not one where we're at we just okay. like to travel this this amount of boxes it's really safety blankets all right so that's that and a lot of uh, but other than that hopefully we can get <laughs> <laughs> we can get them on video next time and show you guys the drip that this guy got going on but you can always follow him on uh, Instagram at Vintage Frames. Yes. Uh, website is going to be www.vintageframes.com. Beautiful. And yeah. it's a Shopify store, all right? You guys know how huge we are into uh, the Shopify platform. Shout so. out to Shopify. Shout out to Shopify, guys. All right, let's end it off there. Take care.